I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Well, it's good to see everybody this evening, and uh, such a wonderful crowd. And uh, so let's uh, let's talk about angels. Uh, now, we've been talking about angels for the last couple of weeks here, and we've talked about uh, uh, different things. So I, I want to just take a minute before we get into tonight's lesson and ha- have a little time of review. Let's, let's see what you have retained about angels. All right. So first, we talked about the nature of angels, and that is what are angels? We answered that question. So what are angels? What are some of the characteristics that we talked about when coming to angels? Spiritual beings, creative beings. I heard somebody what what somebody said what highly intelligent, moral beings, highly organized beings, powerful beings, extreme supernatural power, right? And did we get the other one? Organized, we got organized. Huh? Intelligent? Did somebody say intelligent? Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm, I must have missed the check on that one. All right. So they're created beings, they're spiritual beings, moral beings, they can make decisions, right? Highly intelligent beings, they're extremely powerful, they have supernatural power, uh, but not, they're not omnipotent but they do have supernatural power and they are highly organized. And so the Bible seems to indicate that there's some order to them and rank and that sort of hierarchy among the angels. So they're highly organized as God is highly organized, right? All right, so what about the function of angels? We talked about the function of angels last week. So what, what do angels do? Worship God. What was that? Communicate God's message, yeah. Accomplish His will. Y'all reading off the notes. <laughs> what? What was the mothers? Minister to believers. That's right. Uh, do we have? Do we have a guardian angel? <laughs> is it a guardian angel? Oh, come on. What, what's that? <laughs> or many guardian angels. Uh, I think we have many guardian angels. Uh, so that that's my, my opinion. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of zone defense, right? And so it's not just one guardian angel looking out for you. It's the host of angels looking out for us, so for, for believers, so uh, uh, many guardian angels. And then uh, what was uh, another thing they do? Exemplify faithfulness. That is correct. Awesome. All right. Well, this is not in your notes, but we have talked about this. We've talked, we've talked about kinds of angels that are identified in the Bible. So, what are the, some of the kinds of angels, spiritual beings that we see in Scripture? 
archangels, cherubim, seraphim, living creatures, the four living creatures. That's right. Those are the those are the three. We we could throw uh, the archangel is he's likely a cherubim. Uh, he seems to be a cherubim, but uh, uh, but those are the three kinds of angels that are revealed in Scripture. Could there be more? There could be, right? There could be. We just, that's just what God has given us a, a little peek into. So there's these three kinds of, of spiritual beings, these three kinds of angels, cherubim, seraphim, and the four living creatures there surrounding the throne of God. Uh, do angels have wings? Some of them do, but do all of them? Doesn't seem to be. Doesn't seem to be the case. Doesn't, doesn't, don't, we don't hear anything about Gabriel having wings or Michael having wings, but we see the, the seraphim and the cherubim flying around God's throne. They do have wings. So uh, some of them do, some of them don't. Uh, there's not any, any uh, exact rule there. So uh, they do have that. Do they look like little dainty women? No, no, they are mighty warriors of the Lord. They are mighty warriors of the Lord. So uh, that's what we have when we look at angels. And what are the name, uh, the angels that are named in Scripture? This is an easy one. Gabriel, Michael, Gabriel and Michael. And so only two of them are named, specifically named. But there is another special angel who appears often in Scripture. Uh, anybody have... Yes, angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, and and he is our focus tonight. We are looking at the angel of the Lord because he is a very special angel in Scripture. And so we want to learn specifically about him and and what to think of the angel of the Lord. So that's our focus tonight. And as we think about the angel of the Lord, we're going to look at, first of all, his function and God's program and then his identity and then we'll make a conclusion about who he is at the end of our lesson tonight. So as we begin, we begin by talking about his function, his function. And so the function, how he functions in Scripture, how we see him working in God's plan and program. Well, first of all, there he is a messenger of the Lord. He is a messenger of the Lord. Uh, and actually, his first appearance in Scripture comes in Genesis chapter 16, and looking at verses 7 through 16, we see the angel of the Lord coming on the scene. And just to kind of tell you where we are in Genesis chapter 16, in Genesis chapter 16, God has promised Abram that I will give you an offspring, and through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. But Sarah is still barren, and so she can't have children. She hasn't been able to have children, so Sarah came up with a plan. I tell you what, Abram, why don't you take my servant, Hagar, and uh, maybe through her, the Lord will bring me offspring. And so uh, he goes into, Abram goes into Hagar. She gets pregnant. Then she starts to, you know, treat Sarai with contempt. And Sarai doesn't like that none. So she starts getting on Hagar and and really kind of being mean to her. And so Hagar decides, well, I don't have to take this. I'm getting out of here. And so she's taken off and she's leaving. And she finally gets out there somewhere and just kind of, you can imagine her out there in the wilderness 
now all alone, wondering where she's going to go. And she falls on her, her face, and uh, then the angel of the Lord appears. So in verse 7 of Genesis chapter 16, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. And so uh, she called the name of the Lord, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Berlehai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. So here, the angel of the Lord first appears, as, as far as him being named, he first appears to Hagar there in the wilderness and says, Hagar, go back to Sarai. Go back where you came from. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your, your offspring. And so we see the, the angel of the Lord coming to bring this message from God to Hagar. He also, he's also seen in other places, of course, as a messenger. He spoke to Moses in the midst of the burning bush there in Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. So Moses goes up, sees the bush that's, won't, that's not, it's, it's on fire, but it won't burn up, right? And he goes and from the midst of the fire, the angel of the Lord speaks to him and brings a message from Yahweh. And he for, then he also foretold the birth of, of Samson. So in Judges 13, 3, he goes to Samson's mother, and then he appears to mother and father and appears to them and tells about Samson's coming. So he is a, a messenger of the Lord, messenger of Yahweh. He's also an agent of destruction and judgment. The angel of the Lord is an agent of destruction and judgment. Yahweh sent him to, for example, to, to judge Israel in 2 Samuel 24, 16. And when the angel stripped, uh, stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, It is enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of uh, Aranah, the Jebusite. So uh, you go back into that story. David sinned against the Lord. What did he do? He did the census. That's right. He took a census. And God clearly told the Israelites from the very beginning, you don't count yourself, you don't trust in numbers, you trust in me. And so he commanded them that uh, the king should never take a census of the people. 
And here David is, he disobeys the Lord, and this caused the Lord to bring judgment on the nation. And so uh, as he's gone out through the nation, now he comes to Jerusalem, and when he gets to Jerusalem, the Lord relents. The Lord has mercy, and he tells the angel of the Lord to stop and uh, to hold his, his position there. And then he sends word to David, hey, make a sacrifice. And so David makes a sacrifice there uh, at the, the threshing floor of Aranah, the Jebusite, and the Lord is satisfied, right? The Lord is satisfied. So, but he is an angel, an agent of destruction and judgment. And he was then sent down to destroy the Syrians when the, they besieged Jerusalem. This is on in Isaiah's time period, late, much later on in history, but 2 Kings 19.35 says, and that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. And so here he is, the angel of the Lord, the agent of destruction and judgment. Of course, we could add it here, uh, Joshua 5, 13 through 15, although there he's not called the angel of the Lord, he's called the what? Anybody know? The commander of the Lord's army. And so remember, this is at the beginning where they, they're going into the promised land. And Joshua comes upon this man, this mighty warrior with his sword drawn. And he says, are you for us or against us? And this man says, I'm not neither for you or against you. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. In other words, I'm for the Lord. right? I'm for Yahweh. And Joshua falls down and worships the commander of the Lord's army. And then the commander of the Lord's army tells him, remove your sandals, for this is holy ground. Just as he told Moses. Huh? That is Joshua 5, 13 through 15. Just like the angel of the Lord told Moses, remove your sandals, for this is holy ground. Here the commander of the Lord's army does Joshua remove your sandals for this is holy ground. So even though he's not identified specifically as the angel of the Lord, it appears he is the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord is the commander of the Lord's army. So he is an agent of destruction and judgment. Uh, all that coming on behalf of Yahweh. He's also an agent of protection and deliverance. He's an agent of protection and deliverance. When Pharaoh's army, remember this, the people of Israel leave Egypt, and they instead of going the easy way around, they, they head out towards the Red Sea, the deep part where you can't just cross, right? There's no bridge there, no ferry. They head out that direction, and there they get on the shores of the Red Sea, and here comes Pharaoh's army. And Pharaoh's army, as Pharaoh's army approaches them there on the shores of the Red Sea, they say, oh, what have you done to bring us out here in this wilderness, Moses, to die by the hand of Pharaoh right here in the wilderness? And when they say that, the Lord, Moses says, now, watch out. Look at what the Lord's about to do. And so then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moving and went, he went uh, behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them, before the Israelites, 
and stood behind them. In other words, the pillar that was leading them out of Egypt now takes course and goes behind them and blocks the way between Pharaoh and his army. So he protects them and delivers them from Pharaoh's army. Psalm 34, 7 tells us this, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. So the angel of the Lord is a protector and a deliverer of God's people. Furthermore, number four here, the agent, the angel of the Lord is an agent of guidance and instruction, is an agent of guidance and instruction. This kind of goes somewhat with a messenger there, but uh, he is an agent of guidance and instruction. Think about this. When Abraham sent his servant to find Isaac's uh, wife, he said to his, his servant in Genesis 24-7, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me, and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And so he sent him back to uh, his home country, back to his kinsmen. And uh, he says, don't worry, the angel of the Lord will go before you, and he will guide you to the person, the, the lady, the woman. That is to be Isaac's wife. And so he is a, a guide and an instructor. So he, he guides uh, Abraham, Abraham's servant to um, Isaac's wife. And when Elijah was fleeing Jezebel, remember, he had the wonderful mountaintop experience because he defeated all the prophets of Baal and wiped them all out. But then a little old woman came along and says, I'm going to kill you. And what does he do? I'm gone. Scared to death of, of Jezebel. And he takes off and he flees and he cries out to God. I'm the only one left, Lord. I'm the only one left in all the country who serves you. And the Lord had showed him grace and mercy. And Elijah was fleeing Jezebel in 1 Kings 19.7. It says there at and the angel of the Lord came again a second time. He'd already been there once, but now he's coming a second time. And touched Elijah and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And soon after, and soon after that, he, he led him to the mountain of God, where Elijah had another mountaintop experience of a different kind, uh, because he heard God speak. He listened for the Lord, but the Lord's voice was not in the whirlwind. It wasn't in the earthquake. It wasn't in all that stuff, but then he heard the still, small voice of the Lord. And so uh, he, he met the Lord on the mountain of God. And so here, again, we see the angel of the Lord as a guide and an instructor for God's people. So the angel of the Lord functions as a messenger, a destroyer and judge, a protector and deliverer, and a guide and instructor or a teacher for God's people. So do we have any questions or comments about the function of the angel of the Lord?
Everybody getting all these scripture verses now? All right, well, that's his function. Now, let's talk a little bit about his identity. And here's something that we need to make sure that we're clear on. Uh, sometimes the angel of the Lord is distinguished from the Lord. Sometimes the angel of the Lord is distinguished from the Lord. Especially here in the New Testament, we see this term, not the angel of the Lord, but an angel of the Lord. And so we see this several times when uh, Zechariah, for example, was in the temple. An angel of the Lord appeared to him and told him about John the Baptist's coming birth. Uh, and so uh, that angel of the Lord was identified, of course, as Gabriel. That's Luke chapter 1. Then Joseph also encountered an angel of the Lord when he was contemplating what to do about Mary. Right? He was engaged to Mary, and now she's pregnant. What do I, I'm, I'm going to put her away. I'm going to divorce her because he was a, a righteous man. And so uh, he was contemplating what to do, and an angel of the Lord, most likely Gabriel, but I don't think he's identified there. He comes to him and says, hey, don't worry. Take Mary to be your wife for that which she has conceived is conceived by the Holy Spirit. So uh, take her and raise him because he's the, the savior of the world. And so uh, the angel and angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and pronounces the, the coming of Christ to him. And then uh, an angel of the Lord also appears several times throughout the book of Acts. And a lot of times delivering the apostles from peril and, and just different things like that. So uh, we see an angel of the Lord, especially in the New Testament. But then sometimes, and especially in the Old Testament, most of the time in the Old Testament, uh, he is identified with the Lord, he is identified with the Lord. So again, back there, going back to Genesis chapter 16, verse 10, with the whole scene with Hagar, says the angel of the Lord found Hagar in the wilderness and promised her, I will so greatly multiply your descendant that they cannot be numbered for multitude. So here's the angel of the Lord, and he says, I'm going to multiply your offspring. Not the Lord's going to multiply your offspring. I will multiply your offspring. And then in Genesis chapter 22, verse 12, here's when the Lord told Abraham, Abraham, get up, take your son, your only son, take him up to the mountain that I'm going to show you, Mount Moriah, and there build an altar and sacrifice your son, your only son, unto me. And so Abraham goes up, he goes to the mountain. Dad, where's the sacrifice? The Lord will provide a sacrifice. Dad, where's the sacrifice? The Lord will provide a sacrifice. So as Abraham gets up there, he binds Isaac down. He's getting ready to put that dagger in his heart and offer him up to the Lord as a sacrifice unto the Lord. And what happens? The angel of the Lord appears. And the angel of the Lord came to, to Abraham and says, Now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. The angel of the Lord says, now I know you love God, because you haven't withheld your only son from 
me. Exodus chapter 23, verses 20 through 21, tells us that, Behold, the Lord is talking to Moses here, and he says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for, notice this, he will not pardon your transgressions. So this one, this angel of the Lord has the ability to forgive or not forgive sins. For my name is in him. The Lord says, the angel of the Lord that I'm going to send before you, and that was the pillar of, of fire and smoke. Smoke by day, fire by night. The Lord says, this angel of the Lord, my name is in him. My name is in him. In other words, he's part of me. Right? We are equal. My name is in him. So here we see the angel of the Lord identified with Yahweh, with the Lord our God. So there is a distinction between the angel of the Lord, and, and that's why I'm going through this. So I want to make sure that we understand that there is a distinction in Scripture between the angel of the Lord and an angel of the Lord. And so when you're reading through scripture and you read along there and you see that term, that little title, angel of the Lord, well, all the angels are angels of the Lord. But then there's those cases where it's the angel of the Lord and that angel of the Lord, that particular angel of the Lord, you, you got to read it and you got to hear what the scriptures is saying. But sometimes that the angel of the Lord, he is identified as being with God. He is identified with Yahweh as part of him, equal to Yahweh. So uh, we see this especially in the Old Testament. New Testament, like I say, we see we don't see that as we do the an angel, right? We see more of an angel of the Lord. So when we talk about Gabriel in the New Testament, he's an angel, not the angel of the Lord. Okay. Yes. We're getting there. <laughs> we're, we're, we're getting there. I'm working up to a conclusion here, right? <laughs> Other questions about the, the identity here? All right. We talked about his function, his identity. So now I'm going to make this conclusion. So who is the angel of the Lord? The divine angel of the Lord is likely the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. The divine angel of the Lord. I make that distinction because, again, all the angels are angels of the Lord. But the angel of the Lord, with all of these divine attributes, who himself receives worship, right? He, he receives worship. When people fall down before him and worship him, he's not like the angel in Revelation who tells John, hey, get up, get up, don't do that, worship God. No, this angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, he receives the worship. He says, Moses, Joshua, take off your sandals, for this is holy ground. <laughs> And so he receives worship. 
He is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Now, why do I say specifically he is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ? Because uh, Jesus Christ is God's visible revelation. We see this specifically when we get to the New Testament, right? When we get to the New Testament, Jesus comes on the scene. He is born into the world. And what does scripture say about Jesus? Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the first of all creation, right? So he is the image of the invisible God. And John 1, 1 through uh, 14 is, is really uh, telling on this. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the Lagos, right? The, the revelation of God. What he's talking about when he talks about the Lagos, the Word of God. We have the, the physical word here, or this uh, word here, right? The Bible. This is the Word of God because this Bible reveals God to us. But Jesus is the Word of God who reveals God by what? By becoming flesh. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus, in the New Testament, he he is revealed as the Lagos, the Word of God that becomes flesh. And so it's, it's reasonable to think that as the angel of the Lord is this visible, uh, taking on this human form and becoming the visible presence of God in the Old Testament to the Old Testament saints, it would be logical to think that Jesus is carrying out that function, right? He's carrying out that function in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. And now we see it for sure in the New Testament, taking on that function of revealing God, revealing God by taking on human flesh and becoming a, a, a visible revelation of God in human flesh. So Jesus is God's visible revelation, the second son of the Trinity. Uh, I think when we see, when we talk about, and we're not on the Trinity, but I think when we talk about the Trinity, we see in the Godhead that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, although they, they are equal in their divinity, they each take different roles and they function in different ways. The Father sends out the Son. The Son accomplishes God's, the Father's will and reveals the God, uh, God's purpose to the world, becomes the physical manifestation of God in the world. And the Holy Spirit, he kind of empowers all of that. Right? He's working there, working through Jesus to heal. He goes out to heal the sick and all of these things. And so we see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit equal in divinity, right? equal in glory, equal in stature, but they have their own functions. They do their own kind of job, if you will, within that relationship. And so I think it's reasonable to think that in the Old Testament, when we see the angel of the Lord, who is God appearing to God's people, uh, I think it's reasonable to think that he is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, carrying out that role of being the visible revelation of God. 
Uh, also, we see that Jesus is, he is destroyer and judge, isn't he? He takes that role as well, doesn't he? Uh, we see this especially in Revelation. You want to flip over to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 16. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 16. This little paragraph here. Here we see Jesus getting ready to take on evil. Uh, then I saw, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are, feel, are, his eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. The revelation of God, the word of God and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sword, a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So see, we he see here in Revelation chapter 19, Jesus, again, carrying out that function of being the God's, Yahweh's destroyer and judge, he is going out to destroy and judge all of God's enemies, all of the nations. And so Jesus takes on that same function, that same role for Yahweh. Uh, third, Jesus, of course, is protector and deliverer. This is how we like to know him. This is what we want to focus on. He is our protector and deliverer. Uh, Galatians 1, 3 through 5, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Christ came, died for us to deliver us, to deliver us from our sins. And then Colossians 1, 13 through 14, God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. So we see that uh, the point of deliverance, he, Jesus came and delivered us delivered us from the dominion of darkness. Uh, he redeemed us so that we could be forgiven of our sins. But he also transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That idea of kingdom, being in a kingdom. Why would you want to be in a kingdom? To be protected, to be guarded. That's what Jesus does when he establishes his kingdom. He establishes his kingdom to protect his own to bring them under his wings and to protect them from evil. So 
Jesus is protector and deliverer of God's people. And then fourth, of course, he is guide and instructor. Jesus is guide and instructor. Uh, again, we see this in Revelation. Flip on over there a page or so. Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 through 27. 21, verses 22 through 27. Uh, we see this kind of uh, illustrated here anyway. And I saw no temple in the city. So here John is looking and then the new Jerusalem is coming down from heaven. We'll be talking about that in a couple of weeks on Sunday mornings, but uh, we're, we're going to read this tonight. I saw a new, I saw, and I saw no temple in the city, the new Jerusalem for its temple is the Lord God, the almighty and the lamb. That's Jesus. And the city was no, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Now, is he talking about a literal light? There is he talking about like God is just going to be the literal sun, and and we we don't have to see, we don't have, we, we're going to walk around, and God's light, that literal light, is that what he's talking about there? Let's read on. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no uh, no night there. They will bring into the city the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Notice what he says there again. God gives its light. Its, gives it its light, and the lamp is the lamb by its light will walk, will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In other words, I don't think he's talking literal here. I'm thinking he's, he's using figurative language to say that the light of the Lord, the light of God, the light of, of Jesus Christ is going to shine on the people in New Jerusalem, and they're going to follow him. Right. He's going to give them direction. He's going to give them instruction of how to be. And and because they are his children, because we are his children, we're going to follow that. Right? We're, we're going to follow his direction. All of the detestable things, all the sin, it's been cast away. And now the people of God are going to follow the instruction of God in Jesus Christ. They're going to walk in his light. So I think that there we see kind of in a, a figurative sense this idea that Jesus is guide and instructor for God's people. Of course, we see Jesus in the Gospels. He is the teacher, right? He's the rabbi who teaches his disciples and, and guides them in all truth. And so Jesus is the guide and instructor of God's people. So the divine angel of the Lord is most likely the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, which means the Lord our God is personally engaged in the lives of his people. The Lord our God is personally engaged in the lives of his people. I mean, this should bring us comfort as we see the angel of the Lord working, actively working in the lives of the saints in the Old Testament. And we see Jesus coming, working in our lives. And now he's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit who is actively working in our lives. 
See, God is not just a transcendent God. He's an imminent God. He's not just high and lifted up. He is high and lifted up. But He's not, not so high and lifted up that He's not concerned with us here. He is very concerned with us here. We see this, this idea of the, the angel of the Lord and, and how it relates to Jesus Christ. It brings light to the, the doctrine of uh, the transcendence and the imminence of God. I like what John Frame says here. John Frame says the divine transcendence and eminence of the related uh, uh, that are related to the, the Christian doctrine that while God is exalted in his royal dignity and exercises both control and authority in his creation, that's his transcendence. He's high and lifted up. He is by virtue of this control and authority very present to his creation especially his people, in a personal and intimate way. He is eminence. He is with his people. He is actively engaged in the lives of his people. He is concerned for his people. He has the angel of the Lord. He has the Lord Jesus Christ working in us, guiding us, protecting us from our enemy. He is there revealing God's purpose and His will to us. So this is a wonderful thing when we think about throughout all of history, throughout all of history, even though man said, well, no thanks, God, we're going to go our own way. Adam and Eve, that's what they did in the Garden of Eden, right? They said, the Lord said, don't partake of the fruit. And they said, no thanks, God, we're going to do our own thing. We're going to go our own way. But even still, God is concerned for his people. He didn't take that and run away. He said, all right, I'm still going to be involved in your lives. I'm still going to care for you. I'm still going to send the angel of the Lord to work amongst you and to redeem you in Jesus Christ. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that comforting to know that the Lord loves us in such a way? So ideas, uh, Questions, comments? I know I unloaded a bunch there on you. Any thoughts about the angel of the Lord? Nothing, huh? As the angel of the Lord, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, that's that's one giveaway, right? That uh, when you see that term "angel of the Lord," uh, especially when he receives worship. Uh, that is the angel of the Lord who, he's God. Because any other angel, uh, at least the good angels, any other good angel uh, would say, ah, no, you don't worship me. You worship God alone. Just like the angel there in Revelation tells John. So as he receives worship, he's Yahweh. He's Yahweh in a, a physical form.
All right. First one, emphasis on forward. Forward with all. Uh huh. Okay, so in the Old Testament, you don't see this in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, you see the Lord in all caps. That's the uh, the proper name of God. And so if it was transliterated, like if they were spelling it out, it would be Yahweh. So when we say Yahweh, uh, that's the personal, at least what the Hebrew language has as the personal name of God. He's called Yahweh. He identifies himself as Yahweh, uh, which goes back to I am who I am. Jesus says, I am who I am. Or, or no, no, let's go back to uh, Moses and the angel of the Lord. He says, uh, Moses says, now who do I say send me, is sending me? And the Lord says, I am who I am. Tell him I am sent. And it goes back to this idea that God always is. He's the eternal God. He, he never was. He he never is, never will. He just, I am who I am. He, he's I am. He's the eternal God. And uh, that name Yahweh has that kind of connotation. If you know the Hebrew language, you, you can kind of see that. But uh, when it's all caps in the Old Testament, uh, you can think Yahweh is the personal name of God. Uh, when there's a big L and little O-R-D, that's the, the word just like Lord, Master. It could be used of a king, uh, and a, you know, a human king or a human leader, uh, but it's often used of God as well. And then sometimes you see this, Lord, capital L-O-R-D, God, G-O-D, all caps. Uh, in those cases, the all cap God is the personal name Yahweh. You don't see that as much, but, but occasionally you do see that. Uh, and that's because they, in the Hebrew, there is that Hebrew word for Lord connected with Yahweh. And so they have to do it that way. So that's when we see the angel of the Lord in all caps. He's kind of connected with Yahweh there. So when you said a while ago, like, an angel, the angel. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not if it's in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it is because they didn't, they didn't spell out the uh, proper name, personal name of God in, in the New Testament. They always use the the term "kurios," the the Greek term "kurios," which is the name for Lord. So you see Jesus called the "kurios" in the New Testament, but when you go back to the the Septuagint, so the the Greek version of the Old Testament, uh, when they translated it into Greek, wherever place that it says Yahweh, uh, they put in kurios. And so that's why a lot of people argue that in the New Testament, when we talk about Jesus as calls Jesus Lord, uh, it's really going back to that idea that he is Yahweh. He is, Jesus is Yahweh, but that's a different discussion. So it's not always in the New Testament. You're not going to see the all caps in the New Testament. It's only in the Old Testament. I dove off into the bushes there. Sorry. Other questions? I'm going to say.
right. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be starting that next week. So. <laughs> Some people say back in Exodus, tenth plague. Oh Moses, yeah. I will visit midnight. Told Moses to go Jewish people to mm-hmm. sprinkle the blood on the doorpost. Right. And I will pass over. Mm-hmm. Some people say that was the death angel, but that was the Lord. Yes. So he talks about, um, he says, you know, put the the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, and I will pass over. But he also talks about, and I will not allow the destroyer to go in. And so that's why people will say that that the death angel. Now I believe the destroyer is the angel of the Lord because we see him taking that function uh, other places in the Old Testament as well. So I would say that the the destroyer, it doesn't call him the angel of the Lord there, but he calls him the destroyer. I believe the destroyer is the angel of the Lord who, of course, I believe is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, the Son of God, second person of the Trinity. So we just kind of scratched the surface of all the places that we could have gone with the angel of the Lord. There's a, uh, he has talked about a lot in the Old Testament. Other questions? So in the first Passover... The son was the destroying angel. And then the second Passover, he's the lamb of God who allows us to be passed over. And, uh, you know, out of that came, well, Patriarch, what uh, nation was born out of, out of those? <laughs> I'm going to have to look. <laughs> I don't know that one off the top of my head. Oh. But it, you know, it starts. Uh, I don't know what you think about how it blessed them. Yeah. And it followed the pattern of Jacob. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to get back with you on the the, the tribes of, of Esau. But yes, you do have uh, the Lord, of course, or Ishmael. Uh, the Lord, of course, blessed Ishmael. And yeah, I, well, I know who you meant. But uh, so he blessed Ishmael. 
Ishmael. Huh? They came from Esau's, yeah. So they were, so God blessed Esau and he blessed, blessed Ishmael, but he blessed them by making them great nations. But it wasn't through them that the seed would come. And so Jacob was Isaac and Jacob were especially blessed. They, they're following that line. So when, when you get in Scripture and you start Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 4, actually, um, you, you have the, the holy line beginning to develop. And so Seth was born to Adam and Eve, and he's the holy line. And it's following that, that promise of God, uh, your offspring uh, will crush the head of Satan, of the serpent. The serpent will bite his heel, but he will crush his head. And so that seed was Seth, and that, that whole line is, is traced all the way to Noah, and then to Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, uh, Isaac, Jacob, and on down the line. And then we pick up, well, now Judah, when we get to the blessing as Isaac is, or as uh, Israel, as yeah, Jacob is, is blessing his sons. We get this royal line starting in Judah. It picks up with Judah and goes right through David and then all the way down to Jesus Christ. So that was a special blessing. Now, there's a lot of people that God blesses along the way, but we don't follow them. Uh, he blesses them in different ways. He blesses them with people. He blesses them with riches and land and all of these things. But, but there's this special line that's the, really the focus of Scripture because it's that line that God blesses in order to bring about the Savior, Jesus Christ, who would save God's people from their sins. So, uh, yes, we see Ishmael and Esau blessed because of the relationship to Abraham, but ultimately the, the ultimate blessing comes through Jesus Christ and that line. So when you think about this, I mean, of all the people that descended from Noah, it all focuses on one, on Abraham. And you think, was Abraham the only believer in the day? Well, no, when you start reading Scripture and you get these encounters with other people who they seem to know who Yahweh is and, and maybe even follow Yahweh, but that's not the focus of Scripture. There might have been some more folks who worship Yahweh, but the focus of Scripture is on that seed, that line, that holy line. Uh, and so, uh, thankfully, that's where that, that brings us to Jesus, right? Good question. Any other questions? It's time to go anyway. So. All right. Well, let's talk about prayer requests real quick. <laughs> 